Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Good to see your smiling face. I'm excited about tonight just to bring a word to you and just share with you. Listen, I, I think you guys are the bravest, most courageous people tonight. You know why? Because you survived a monsoon on the way into church tonight. And not only that, when you got in here, if you survived the monsoon, you get in here, and this is one of my favorite parts, it's a little cold. Anybody with me? It's just a little cold. And so I'm, I'm renting out blankets to raise money for missions in the back. If you want to pick up a blanket in the back, please do so. I know some of you are really looking. I'm just joking. That is not true. That is not true. But listen, we're so glad to have you tonight. Would you take just a moment with me to welcome everyone watching online tonight? Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm excited about sharing the Word of God tonight, and I want just to talk about this subject tonight. We're going to be talking about from failure to freedom. What does that really mean, from failure to freedom? Well, let me just kind of introduce this subject by saying this tonight. I want to just tell a brief story to kind of get us going in the right direction. But I found this story, and it's an amazing story, but it really speaks, I think, truth to us tonight that I believe hopefully will help you in just your walk as you are walking with the Lord. It goes like this. There is a small museum on Nantucket Island where a bunch of people have gathered, and it's devoted to people who were once in the life-saving business that was formed centuries ago. And here's what they do. Because of the rough, rough, rocky edges on the Atlantic up in the northeast off of Massachusetts, there's all these waves and rocks. And, and, and centuries ago, there used to be ships that would kind of travel through that area. And when they traveled through the area, they would go, uh, uh, they would crash upon the rocks and, and people would begin to drown. And, and so there was a society that was kind of formed. And what they did is they began to go into this life-saving business. We'll know that as the Humane Society. And so what people did is they began to gather around in groups, and they said, you know what, along this shore over here, let's put a little hut, and let's begin to man this hut. And so they did. So they had all these people around this hut manning it, and then they would look offshore, and they could see a mile or so, and they would begin to see ships that would go uh, onto the rocks and they would begin to say hey we got to send out a team a team would go out and they'd save these people and they would just bring them back and and that's what they did they had a motto for their life-saving group and it was this you have to go out but you don't have to come back they were so serious about saving lives they, that they set up all these stations because that was the most important thing to them now later on this is the interesting thing the U.S. Coast Guard takes over, and after the U.S. Coast Guard takes over, they begin to um, not meet anymore. There was no teams going out, there were, nobody really was meeting, and all of a sudden there was this time when they got together and they began to meet, but the only meeting was to have dinner and just kind of hang out and have dinner. And so what happened is there was a bunch of great people who forgot that they were in the life-saving business and they went on their merry way just to leave it up to somebody else. Now, I don't know about you, but we're here tonight and there's things that we go through that I am so thankful that we are in the life-saving business. Amen? 
And you say, well, we don't save anybody. You're exactly right. We know that Jesus saves people. But you get my drift is that we are called to reach out beyond ourselves. We don't always see it, but sometimes we're, we're preoccupied with our own little self that we forget that people are having many shipwrecks all around us and we forget what they're kind of going through. You may have even walked in here tonight, and you know what? You've been through a shipwreck today, a small one, a large one, I don't know. Maybe you uh, got yelled at by the boss today. Maybe you uh, have had a phone call with somebody, and they've gone through a difficult time. Maybe there's a loss of a spouse. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know this, is that people all around us have many shipwrecks all the time. And the only thing that sometimes that we can toss them is maybe a lifeline of words that can speak into their life, and it may be what? It just may be say, I'm here for you. Can I pray for you? Can I help you during this time? And so we're tossing those things out, and we're trying to help them. And you know what? I believe that is so helpful in a time of need. And when we do that, here's what happens, I think, is that we don't realize it, but that is an extraordinary action. And you don't know it's extraordinary until you're going through the difficult time in life, and someone does that for you, and you realize, man, that changed my life. For someone to speak life into me. And so what are we here tonight to do? We're here to encourage one another that we're in the life-saving business and we're going to help each other. So what I want to do is I want to go to the Word and I'm going to tell you a story about somebody who is about to go under. It's going to be about a woman who had a shipwreck in life. She was about to go under a group of men that were supposed to be in the life-saving business, but they really forgot about who they, who they were called to be. And it's going to be about Jesus, who is always looking across the horizon into our lives, noticing and seeing, hey, it looks like somebody is on the rocks. Let me reach out and let me help them. Would you turn with me to John chapter 8 tonight? John chapter 8. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And I want to read this story to you. Everyone in this room is probably familiar with this story. You've heard this probably since you were a kid growing up, and you're thinking, how in the world is this story going to relate to me? And I would just say, hold on, tell your neighbor, hold on, this is going to help me tonight. And this is what it says. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. See, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? You see, they were using these questions as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one's sure, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. What a powerful story. Do you ever wonder 
how God reacts to your failure. You ever wondered that? Am I the only one that's ever wondered that? I wonder how God reacts to my failure. I remember as a kid growing up is that when you thought about messing up, you thought that maybe God was on his throne, kind of on the edge of his seat, and every time that you would mess up, he was just ready to take you out. Anybody remember those days? Like, I just don't know how God sees my failure. And then as you grow in the Lord, you realize that he is what? A God of love, and he reacts differently sometimes than we think he reacts. And what we understand and realize as we read this story is that he is much different, and he reacts in love. You see, this, this story is a very visual, powerful story of sin, condemnation, and really hope. It's just as relevant now as it was thousands of years ago when this story unfolded. And here's what's amazing to me is that we're going to share about this tonight, but this story is literally going to impact our life, even though it happened so many years ago. You see, this lady was caught in the act of adultery. And when I say that, how many would say with me, yeah, that's a pretty bad day right there? Can you imagine your door flies open, men walk in, they rush in, they see you, they, they jerk the covers off of you, and they begin to haul you out, they grab her fiercely, they begin to take her outside of the house, and she probably hears even that one of the men say, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. And she's silent. She doesn't know what to do. But all of a sudden, she's jerked from this private moment in her life. And what she's experienced has all of a sudden been a public moment in her life. The Pharisees, they have all of this. And they've recorded it. And they know what's going on. And you can even imagine, maybe in this day and age, there's, there's video. It's all of a sudden possibly going to be on Instagram, Facebook. You know what I'm saying? All of this is about to go public, and she's wondering what in the world is going to happen to me. She knows she's guilty. She knows that she has messed up. And the mob that takes her, they push her through the street. She has a sheet. She's trying to cover her nakedness, but really she's, so, she's feeling so much shame inside of her life. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to say. All she knows is this. This could be her last moments in life. It's failure. She feels the shame of it. She knows what's happening. And you know what? We know this. Is what that woman did, that was shameful. What the Pharisees did, it was despicable. It was all this story unfolding. Why is this happening? What's going on? And she knows this. Adultery is punishment by death. And she's going to have to walk through all this cycle. She's not, she doesn't know where she's going. And all of a sudden she realizes through the men talking, that they're going somewhere. Oh yeah, they're heading right to Jesus. Now I have some questions about what's going on in this scripture because don't you think it's a coincidence that how, how did a couple people see this? What is really going on? Well, when you begin to dig into it, you know this. is That's, that's not just a coincidence that two people were there. And what about the man? What about the man? Where's he? No one's dragging him out. How many women say, yeah, what about the man? I've always said this, it takes two to tango, right? And if you need an interpretation of that, ask your spouse later exactly what two to tango means. So if you use your best NCIS tactics and begin to think about this, you realize that this woman is not the catch, she's the bait. Let that one kind of sink in for a moment. 
So they bring this woman to Jesus. Now, let me kind of throw off this. Do you, do you, if you begin to remember the stories in the Bible, do you remember that there were some other men that brought someone to Jesus, but he was on a mat? And they brought him during this teaching time, and all of a sudden we realize through this particular teaching, they're bringing this woman to her, and when they're bringing this woman to her, um, they're not coming because she needs to be healed. She's coming because she's going to be killed. I would check your friends. <laughs> and so all of a sudden she's brought before Jesus not to be healed, but to be killed. You see, even the scripture says, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus, he's been teaching, and you know what? She's just been cheating. So what do we learn from this? What are the things that we can take away and God begins to speak into us? Well, I would say number one is this. When you, whenever you begin to feel the effects of sin, sin helps you understand that there's the condemnation of the law that's taking place. And you have to understand that the law back then and what was going on with that because the condemnation, there's this blaming thing that's taking place. People are being criticized. And in order to trap Jesus, the Pharisees, they dust off this old law and they pull it out because they want to trap Jesus in what he's going through. You see, the Pharisees, they're, they're quick to see everyone else's fault, but what they fail to realize is their own sinful nature in what they're walking through. So they're quick to pronounce death on someone, but they forget that maybe they're the ones that are guilty. You see, we've all felt that shame and that guilt in life. We've walked through that. We've experienced. And here's what happens. They fail to realize that there's guilt and shame and all of those things going on, but really, all of a sudden, this woman is feeling tremendous guilt, tremendous shame in what she's going through. But you know what? When you begin to look at Scripture, if you go back to Romans, Romans chapter 3, what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? That's at every one of us, right? That's every one of us. But the law commanded that she be punished, that she be killed. When you go to Romans chapter 7, I love the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8. You're going to see that's very theological in nature. That Paul begins to lay out this, hey, we have this sinful nature. But you know what? We are called to live by the Spirit of God. And it's uh, the, living in the Spirit of God helps us as we live for Him. And He commands us to do that. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what co coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. You see, the law reveals our sin like a mirror shows us how sinful we really are. Now, I remember years ago, I mean, I, I had to be probably just a kid, four years old, five years old, maybe even younger than that, went to the grocery store with my mom, I had no idea how much time I would spend in the grocery store the rest of my life. Anybody hear me? Went to the grocery store, was there at the grocery store, and I remember as a kid, you begin to walk these aisles, but on, on one particular aisle, there's this, a whole bunch of candy. You remember when they used to have bins full of candy, and there were so many cents each, and you would kind of reach in there? Well, I had no idea that that cost money. So I reached in. I grabbed some, put some in my pocket, thinking, man, this is the greatest place on earth. You go to this great big store, there's food everywhere, you just pick it out, you put it in your pockets, and you go. 
Well, I got out to the car, and, and my mom says, what, what's in your pockets? Why are they so full? And I'm like, well, I got candy inside the store. And she says, you weren't supposed, you're not supposed to do that. That costs money. She said, you stole that. Well, I had no idea that I stole the money, so, or, or the candy, which is really kind of money, right? So, so she said this. It, it's like, well, I thought we'll just kind of brush through this. We'll go home. I'll keep my candy. She says, she says no, sir. We're going to march back in there. We're going to talk to the manager, and you're going to apologize for stealing the, all the candy. You, I, I was terrified. I have to go back in. And at my four or five-year-old, and I have to look up and say, now, I want you to understand, at that moment, guess what happened? I felt extreme shame. Even at four years old, I, I didn't know that I had broken one of the laws, right? Thou shalt not steal. You, you're not supposed to do that. Everybody know that? Yeah. I'm not supposed to steal. So I marched back in. I go back in there, and we were sitting there, and she says, well, here he is, and and." It was hard for me. It wasn't like I was confident in that moment. You ever done that to your kids? Now, this is what I want you to do. They get in trouble and immediately say, you need to straighten up. They never straighten up. Man, they hold this grudge on you for, you know, against you for a while. You know what I'm saying, parents? They hold that for, for, against you for, for a while. So I walk in and my head is down in shame. And so I have to lift my head and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal the candy. And that's exactly what I did. I had to do that, but guess what? Here's what really happened. My mom was a mirror to show me that I had broken the law. And she showed me, and I felt the guilt and shame of that, but I had to make sure that I said the right thing and and that the Lord obviously would forgive me, and I learned a great lesson that day, do not steal. Now we have to do this. We have to understand that our nature, we have this sinful nature inside of us, but we have to understand that the law always brings condemnation because we can never keep all the laws that there are, especially in the Old Testament as all those laws, rabbinic laws, would have been hundreds of rabbinic laws. How in the world are you going to keep all those laws? You can't. So what does Romans begin to say about our sinful nature? It says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? There's a question right there. Who's going to rescue me? And in verse 25, it begins to outline this. It just says this. Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is always the answer in the sinful nature of what we go through is that it always points back to him, the forgiveness of sin, right? The law points that out in our life. And then we begin to what? Live by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8. You can read that and you'll begin to see. So the law reveals our need of what? A Savior. The law is the mirror that shows the dirt and grace is the soap that wipes it away. Thank God for grace. Amen? The grace in your life that wiped your sin away, that allows you to what? Be a child of God, to walk in the Spirit and allows you to what? Live for Him. And that's what, exactly what he does. But when you go back and you begin to look at what? The Pharisees. Here's the, here's the terrible thing. It's a terrible thing when sinners fall into the hands of sinners. What's difficult is that sometimes we begin to do this. Um, people become the subject of gossip. We begin to sometimes with our mouth tear people down. We are, we're found guilty in the court of public opinion. And then we find others guilty in the, in the court of public op opinion. 
Some throw stones, but the words are what hurt the most. Ever been hurt by words by somebody? You remember the old saying, sticks and stones may what? But, not true, huh? Because words can cut right to the throat, and it's very difficult as you do that. So we understand this. James begins to talk about how powerful our words are, that it's, it's kind of an unruly member is what it talks about. There's gossiping, there's backbiting, there's things that we walk through that we sometimes just don't understand. But watch what Jesus does in verse 6. He simply does this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on this ground with his finger. What do you think he wrote? Now as you begin to study the scripture, this is one of those, those scriptures in the Bible where you think, man, I wish I knew exactly what was written. But we really don't know. Some, some suggest that when he began to write in the sand that he, he wrote all the sins of the Pharisees. Could have been. Some say he, he wrote the names of the women the Pharisees had committed adultery with. Some say he may have written love. Maybe he wrote forgiveness. We don't know exactly what he wrote, but we do know that he wrote something. They continued to question Jesus until he finally, he stood up and he said this, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And if you can picture in your mind's eye, standing there that day, listening, watching. Remember, Jesus is not just by himself. He's teaching in public and, he, and everybody's watching this thing, this scene unfold. All they could do is drop the rocks around them. All you heard were thuds all around. And what the Bible says is that they begin to turn and they begin to walk away because under the law they realize this, we're all guilty. You see, when we're guilty, that's what all of a sudden that shame, that guilt, everything that begins to come upon us. But we, there's something that we have to do. And this leads to the second point. You see, the effects of, li of sin lead to this, the condemnation of self. We start condemning ourselves. Can you picture this? The woman, she is just staring into the ground. Everywhere she goes, she will be remembered as this. That's the woman who was caught in adultery. She goes to public. She's walking down aisle number three. Someone spots her and says, that's the woman that was caught in adultery. She goes to Starbucks. The same thing happens. That's the woman that was caught in adultery. You remember the day that she was stoned. But as you begin to read, you realize that's not really what happened. You see, this man, this woman that was caught in adultery, they thought no one was looking. But here's the thing. When you begin to understand who God is, sin always has a way to find its way out. It was discovered. Everything that we do is always seen by God. And sometimes that's difficult to take. That's difficult to understand. But God begins to do this. He begins to make a way where no, there's no other way. You see, moral failure, it's always easy, easy to remember. And can you imagine as you watch her, she begins to just kneel to the ground, her face is down, Tears are running down her eyes because she knows she's breathing her last moments. She's failed, and all of a sudden, she is brought into the presence of Jesus. And when you know you have failed, when you know you've been brought into the presence of Jesus, you know when you have stolen candy and you're brought before the judgment seat, right? It hurts. There's shame. You don't know what to do. Can you imagine what she felt? 
Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been involved in something where you felt the shame, you felt the guilt of something that you had walked through, and you know what? It begins to hurt so bad. You don't understand it, but you know you're walking right in the middle of it, and you feel so down that your head, you remember with your head down, crying your eyes out, thinking, Lord, how am I ever going to make it through this? And realizing, man, His grace is sufficient in our weakness. Is that He is the lifter of our heads when we need him most, is that he helps us, he guides us, he directs us in every of those times that we need him most, and here's what we understand, we know that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we know this in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sometimes we break God's laws. You see, in religion, sometimes we put on a mask. These Pharisees put on a mask, and you know what? They be, how, this is how they begin to live. They were self-righteous, and all of a sudden their self-righteousness, they lived in such a way it lacked forgiveness. Their criticism that lacked love. There was judging that lacked compassion. There was punishing that lacked restoration. There was a destroying that lacked the second chance in life. They forgot they were in the life-saving business. And they totally forgot one of the greatest commandments of all. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So here we go. It's Jesus and the woman are left alone. The jury's gone. It's just the two of them. And the woman waits her verdict. She's wondering what in the world is going to happen. And as she waits, she begins to think, are these my last breaths? What is Jesus going to say? She knows the law. She knows what's going to happen. And even Jesus knows this. If, she, if he says this, hey, she's not guilty, he breaks Jewish law. If he pronounces that she is guilty, he breaks Roman law. Because Roman law says, hey, that's not right. You can't do that. And so he has to make a decision. And so, number three, all of a sudden we begin to realize this. Say, sin leads to this, the forgiveness of Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about the forgiveness of Jesus is that sometimes that is the greatest thing that we could ever experience as Jesus comes into our life. He saves us. He helps us. He takes us from that sin. He takes us from that, that guilt. And he saves our lives from those times when we need him most. So what happens in this verse? It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And that's exactly what she did. I remember years ago when, when my, my wife and I were youth pastors that we had the honor and privilege of going into high schools, junior high, whatever it may be. And we went, in, went into the high schools. It was an amazing thing that we would go into these public high schools and the principals and everybody would love for us to come and just be a part. But I remember this one particular day, I get this call from one of our youth sponsors that said, hey, you need to come over and you need to talk to this guy named Pepe. I said, I'll be right there. It's about a 15-minute drive. I jump in the church van. I drive over. I'm sitting there and I walk in and here's Pepe. The cool thing about our youth group is our youth group was about 30% Hispanic. We had all kinds of Hispanic people moving into the area. And I remember sitting with Pepe and saying, Pepe, what's going on? And Pepe, I can only imagine, like I see this lady, 
that's been caught in the act of adultery is that his head was down, he had great big old crocodile tears running down his face, and he begins to share with me the sin that he is involved in. And then, after he shares all these great details, he says this, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Will you pray for me because I need to be saved from this? And you know what the awesome part was? We're in a public high school, and they said that there's no prayer in school. Man, I'm just smiling on the inside. Here, I'm about to lead a young man in prayer in a public high school to Jesus Christ. Can't tell me there's not prayer in school. There's prayer in school, amen? There can be. And so we prayed that prayer. And all of a sudden, whenever we began to pray, man, he began to smile. You could tell that something was lifted off of him in just an instant as we began to pray that prayer. And it was awesome to see that all of a sudden, hey, great things was happening in his life again. Now here's the awesome part about every one of us in here is that we can experience the same thing. The shame, the guilt, everything that we're walking through can be lifted. All of a sudden, Jesus pronounced that she is not guilty. You need to go walk away from your sinful lifestyle. And she walked away. And the woman turns and she walks into namelessness. But the great thing is this. This woman is literally dragged into the presence of Jesus of failure. And she leaves walking in freedom. When she thought it was her last moments on earth, she meets someone named Jesus Christ who turns her life around and all of a sudden she begins to experience his grace, his love, his forgiveness, and she walks out someone different. Now here's what I know as we walked in this room today, that you may have walked in here with some guilt and shame and things that you've walked through, and let me be very clear, maybe it's not walking through adultery. No, it's not that. But it's other shame. It's other guilt that you maybe you've just walked through. But guess what? There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Is that you don't have to stay here and stay in the guilt and the shame that you can walk out of here walking in freedom. You can go from failure to freedom just like that because of why? Because Jesus has paid a price for every one of us so we could have life. And that's an exciting thing. Would you bow your head tonight? And as you are honest before God and me, That tonight, I believe that you're in a great place to find forgiveness. That if you are felt caught in guilt and shame and you have been carrying this maybe even for years in your life, did you know that Jesus can come and I believe that he can help you even tonight? He can lift that from you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even tonight, he can come in And he can forgive you of your sin. And he can live in your life. And that he can help you through anything that you're going through. I believe he is that real. I believe he is that powerful. And that he can touch your life in just an instant. And all of a sudden you can leave this place in freedom in your life. If you're here and you you could say this. You know what? Craig, I'm walking through some stuff right now. I just... I need his touch in my life. 
I'm here and I need the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Would you just simply raise your hand right where you're at? Yes. Yes. Anybody else? I'm just walking through. Would you remember me as we pray tonight? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? In the balcony, I see the hand up there. Thank you. Anyone else? Would you stand with me tonight? And as we stand, I want to do this. I want to lead us in the sinner's prayer. Like I say, I love to call it the winner's prayer. And as we pray, I want you to pray after me. And then immediately after that, we're going to have a time. Pastor Randy's going to sing a song. And if you raised your hand, I want you to come down. I want you to connect with one, someone down here so you can pray and the Lord can touch your life and that can help you through what you're going through. And you can find, I believe, freedom in Him tonight. He can help you through a difficult time, through whatever you're going through. Would you repeat after me? Dear Lord, Dear Lord I thank you for your love. Thank you for your I love. thank you for your goodness in my life. I come before you tonight and realize I'm in need of you. I need you to come into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to save me from my sin and myself. Cleanse my heart. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor Randy sings, I want you to come right now. If you need any type of touch in your body, healing, whatever it may be, if you raise your hand, would you just slip down for just a moment and pray as he sings.
serve a great God. Amen. I encourage you to walk with him this week, trust in him this week. I want you to go in his grace and peace. But before we go, let me pray over you as we go. Lord, we are so grateful for your goodness tonight. Thank you for your touch. Thank you that we may have walked in a failure, feeling that condemnation, but God, we can walk out in freedom. God, thank you that we can trust in you and your ability. And God, that we don't have to depend upon ourselves, that we can always trust in you. You're a great God who helps us in time of need. Thank you tonight for all that you do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Have a great night.